Welcome in to a bonus edition of the BSN Broncos podcast. Ryan Konigsberg and Zach Stevens here once again from the beautiful Fossil Trace Golf Course. And it's a fun day out here today, Zach, because it is May Demo Days. And what that means is we've got representatives from TaylorMade, uh, Cobra, and Mizuno here at Fossil Trace Golf Course showing off all the new gear, all the new toys. Ryan, I'm not even the biggest golf guy, as you know. I like the sport, but I'm not uh, an aficionado like you. And I'm in heaven right now. I can't imagine how you're feeling. Yeah, this is crazy. I mean, all of the new gear available to hit. Uh, you've got representatives showing you, you know, okay, well, maybe this works a little better for your swing. Or um, it looks like you might need this shaft. Whatever it is, you know, you can learn a lot about your swing out here at these demo days at Fossil. And it's not just this month. They do one of these every single month. Uh, it's a beautiful Saturday morning here. And where else would you want to be but the golf course? Uh, and so uh, we're getting a bonus pod in as we hang out here on the driving range. Uh, and I must say, it's a little early in the morning for me because I did not sleep a wink last night. <laughs> oh, man. And the reason is is because it was bonus basketball times four last night, Ryan. You're sounding way too excited. <laughs> it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, My, I don't have a soul anymore. Until the buzzer went off in the fourth overtime, though, wasn't it the greatest thing? Uh, if you like... <laughs> High-stress environments where you don't breathe for minutes at a time. And, uh, you know, you either know that this is going to end up being a, a night that you'll never forget for a good reason or a night that you'll never forget for a bad reason. Uh, I was laying in bed until probably 3.30 a.m. Oh, just agonizing. Just thinking of every missed opportunity. <laughs> thinking of the poorly drawn-up plays with eight seconds left in multiple overtimes. What? What plays? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's the, it. Throw the ball in and do whatever you want, <laughs> I guess, were the plays. Um, thinking of the BS review, I, I mean, I know it went off of Jamal, but that's got, that's got to stop because it's very clear that he reached in and knocked the ball out of bounds. But because it just rolled off his fingertips, of course, it's their ball. I was thinking about the poorly tossed ball uh, in the jump ball when – the Nuggets were trying to call a timeout anyway. It shouldn't have been a jump ball. Yep, yep. Then they toss it towards Lillard. It's just, that one hurts. And Ryan, free throws. Free throws. I mean, Jokic is up there looking like death with, what, three seconds left in the game? But you got to make Five the free so, throws. Yeah. He has He's 88% in the playoffs, and he misses the free throw. I mean, or else we, we would have been talking a fifth overtime game. I, the game may still be going on. I'm not going to blame him for that. You want to know why? Why? This is a nearly 300-pound man <laughs> who paid, who played basketball last night for over an hour on the court. He never he didn't take a break after the third quarter. You are asking for it if you leave him out there that long. And I'm not uh, I'm not a basketball expert, so I'm not here to question coach Malone and his uh, decision making. I'm here to, I'm here to do that. But I mean, you're talking about a 300-pound man running around on a basketball court for, what, 65 minutes plus? It's, it's the most minutes played by an NBA player in a single game, maybe a playoff game. In a playoff game ever. Since Oh, ever. Well, maybe you had a better... It, well, it, at least since 1953. And, Ryan, when I was reading that, I had to go back because I thought it was going to say for a center, for a big man, for a guy over 250 pounds. No, just any player. Yeah, and the most minutes ever played by a seven-footer in a game. So it's funny that this comes on the day that everyone's talking about Jokic's body and him being out of shape and this and that. My man's not out of shape. No. I mean, he was out there, and he was – you could tell he was tired, but who wouldn't be? Yeah. I mean, Jamal Murray was tired. Yeah. You know, all these guys were tired. But anyways, you know what helped me go to sleep? I watched Nikola Jokic's press conference. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm thinking these these guys are going to be so defeated. Yeah. So crushed. Jokic was upbeat. He's fine. Didn't look like he was, you know, he just played, a, ran a marathon, essentially. Uh, um, he was okay. That's the best news I've heard because I for sure, I mean, I had to go to bed right after that. It, we're talking like 3 a.m. Eastern time when the game ended. And, uh, man, because game four is huge. Game four is everything. Exactly. And that's why I, that's why I was able to get to sleep. I'm like, okay, well, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay for game four. Um, and so – it was it was one of those games that just you'll never you'll never be able to forget about, and especially if they don't win this series, all those missed opportunities will ring in my dreams forever. But I feel okay. At one point, I was thinking like, man, how are the Avs gonna play tomorrow after a crushing <laughs> loss like this? And I was like, oh wait, it's, they'll be all right. I don't think they watched the game. Oh, and tonight after Thursday night, oh, so exciting! Another huge game and. Because this is a bonus pod, we're allowed to talk about whatever we want. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Avs tonight, after splitting splitting at home, splitting on the road, now they got a chance to take the lead in the series. Uh, it's going to be another huge one. I'm not going to lie, Ryan. I did not feel good about yesterday's Nuggets game. Before, Friday morning, I did not feel good about it. Just Portland going at home, that crowd is electric. I feel great about the Avs tonight. Yeah, I do too. I feel. I mean, it's all momentum, though, right? Like, it feels like the Avs have the momentum, yep. and that, and now it feels like the the Nuggets lost all momentum. But if they can just get a good shooting game, they'll be fine. They they would win. They would be three. They would be winning the series right now, three zero, if they just shot the ball well. They played so bad last night, especially the first three quarters. They were awful, and yeah. yet they were in it. All right, we've we've held the people long enough. <laughs> uh, it's probably time to transition into some Broncos talk. And I want to start with a series of questions we've been getting. I don't know. Do you have them in front of you? Um, Maybe we won't go directly into the questions, but there is an overarching sentiment right now that have come from quite a few commenters that I want to address. And it essentially revolves around this. We We were high on Joe Flacco. Uh, or at least medium high on Joe Flacco. And a lot of people are saying, whoa, 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 what happened? Where did Joe Flacco go? All of a sudden you guys are talking about, you know, when he's going to get benched. And the the other sentiment is the other side of things with people saying, whoa, 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 chill out on Drew Locke. You guys are acting like he's the second coming of John Elway already. And I just want to address that because I think maybe there's a little hyperbole going on from all parties here. But let's start with Flacco are you completely off the Flacco bandwagon at this point certainly not certainly not and Ryan there's a reason that Drew Locke fell to number 42 and that's because he's not ready right now he has all the talent in the world put Kyler Murray aside he's the most he has the highest upside of any quarterback in this draft I maintain that before they got him and after they got him so I am so high on Drew Locke and what he can be but Ryan, if he was the complete package right now, he would have been the first overall pick even with Kyler Murray on the table. And then you kind of get the opposite with Joe Flacco. You you know what you're getting with him this year, and you know you don't have to wait. You, you don't have to wait eight games for him to hit his prime. You don't have to wait a year for Joe Flacco to hit his prime. You know what you're getting right now. And that's a good thing on one hand because you know you can count on him. You know you can win with him right away. You're not going to have to go through rookie mistakes like you're going to have to go through with Drew Locke uh, whenever that may be. But the ceiling is capped. The ceiling is what Gary Kubiak did with him in 2014, and that's 27 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, or 14 interceptions, I believe. And the floor is what we've seen the past four years, which is a long time. And that's... Not the Bad. best. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So when you give me this shiny toy, Ryan, you give me this new Ferrari, and you say you just you just got to wait till the right time to drive it. I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to be telling you about that car. You give me this, this 2005 Toyota Camry, and you say it's going to run forever. You can drive it right now. Here are the keys. I'm, I, that, that's the one I'm going to take out because I have to let the Ferrari sit for a minute. So I have a thing to drive. It's going to be good. I know what I'm going to get. But come on, am I going to be telling you about that? Am I going to be pumped about the Toyota Camry? I like your metaphor, but I have a better one. <laughs> I'm sure you do. 
feel like John Elway is in the Garden of Eden right now. <laughs> and he's sitting there. And, you know, God is telling John, look, John, you've got this quarterback. He's got a big arm. He's got a lot of experience. He has won a Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl MVP. He's a great fit in your offense. All this stuff. You can have all of it. Just wait. Just don't go to that tree right there. <laughs> Stay away from that tree because that tree is not ready for you. And you just need to be patient because that tree doesn't belong to you. Everything else, look at this. It's all yours. You can have it all. Don't touch that tree. Do you know how badly John Elway wants to go to that tree right now? Do you know how badly he wants that forbidden fruit? And then what? Because it's, it's, it's tantalizing. And Drew Locke is tantalizing because he has everything that Joe Flacco has. Take away the experience in the Super Bowl. He's got the big arm. He's got the ability to make every throw. He's got the ability to fit into this offense really well. And he has more. He's fleet of foot. He can dunk a basketball easily. I was watching Draft Academy yesterday uh, on ESPN+, Plus, which I recommend. Uh, the Draft Academy stuff is really cool. And Drew Locke's out there with Jarrett Stidham. And Stidham's throwing him oops. He's throwing him down one-handed. He's jumping, dunking two-handed. And I'm like, Jeff Flacco can't do this. <laughs> He just can't do this. So it is. It's a it's a Garden of Eden situation right now, and that's where we're at. Because, like, we've talked enough about the rest of the garden. Now there's a tree over there that we can't touch, and it's really, really tantalizing. And for the people that don't like the Drew Lock hype, which I don't know who you are, and I don't think there's many of you, but Ryan... When the fruit starts growing and getting juicier on that tree, <laughs> it's only going to heat up from us. And it's only going to heat up from John. And that's that's why I think that we see Drew Locke this season is because John is going to see Drew Locke in training camp. And he's going to say, nope, nope, I'm holding myself back. Just like he did with the first round at pick number 10, at pick number 20, at pick number 41. He held back. But then it just got to a point where I can't. I can't resist. I have to jump on it. That's why I don't think it's going to happen week four or week eight or even the bye week. I think the bye week is going to be John Elway at pick number 41 saying, I've made it this far. Take a deep breath. Keep sticking with the plan. Get Dalton Reisner at 41. You know, let Joe Flacco play after the bye. And then just two weeks later, it's going to be, nope, I'm jumping on it. Joe Flacco has to avoid a three-game losing streak. Yeah. Anytime a three-game losing streak happens, he's done. And that's 0-3. He's done, in my opinion. I agree. I completely agree. When did when did Tim Tebow come in? Um, Weren't they three games below? One and four. Three games below 500. Yep. Not say three-game losing streak, but yep. I think it was one and four. I think it was, too. That would have been my guess. Okay, but see, see, here's what's happening. I asked you a question about Joe Flacco, <laughs> and we just talked about Drew Locke for 20 minutes. Or five. I don't know what it was. So I'm going to go to a, a direct question here from Chilongo Bronco. He says, hey, guys, what's with the hate for Flacco. Give the man some love. He's a proven quarterback who's won multiple playoff games, and this can't be said for most of uh, the Broncos' former quarterbacks. I like Elway's plan to keep Locke behind Joe and let him learn the offense and how the game is played in the NFL. I believe we should be rooting for Joe to have a great year. Honestly, I think this is the best scenario for the Broncos. Please don't wish for Flacco to have a bad year. And when the time is right, Locke will step in and drive this team. Besides Elway, Manning, and Plummer, Flacco sadly might be the best quarterback we've had so far. Yeah, and Ryan, I don't think you and I have have sat here and ished, wished ill on Joe Flacco or or hoped he had a season like he's had the last four seasons. I'm just trying to be realistic when I talk about Joe. He can be 27 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. He did that in Gary Kubiak's offense. What are the Broncos doing now? They're giving him that Gary Kubiak offense, but a lot of people just think that he's going to turn back into that just because he's going back into this offense. And I thought about this yesterday, Ryan. Do you think every offensive coordinator since in Baltimore with Joe Flacco has said, you know what, I'm going to make this offense so it's difficult for Joe to succeed, so that Joe isn't going to be very good. I, that that hasn't been happening. Joe just hasn't been very good. Now, I do think this offense will help, but I don't think we can immediately just say, okay, 2017 or he's going to go back to 2014 form we don't have to worry about that I'm just trying to be realistic about what you're getting in Joe and 
Joe can come in and be 2-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio. And you know what? That would win a lot of games for the Broncos, and that would get the job done. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a perfect, uh, a perfect way to put it. No one was trying to make it hard on Joe Flacco. I guess they just had maybe the wrong idea of how to, uh, how to succeed with Joe Flacco. It's one of those things where it's not a it's not it, it, it's not possible for someone to have grabbed Joe Flacco and said, "All right, how can we make this tough on him?" <laughs> Even last year, it's not like they were saying, "All right, how do we make this tough so so Lamar Jackson can come in and play?" Right. Everyone's trying to make it easy on their quarterback or at least they should be. So it's not it, th- that you're right. And I'm not no one here is wishing ill upon no, Joe Flacco. No. In fact, I completely agree. The best case scenario for the Broncos is Joe Flacco leads them to 12 and 4, takes them to the playoffs and and then there's a debate whether or not Drew uh, uh Drew Lock will start in week 1 of next year. So, it's it's we're not hating on Joe Flacco. It's just we've talked about Joe Flacco a lot and now we have something new and fun to talk about. Honestly, the the best realistic scenario for the Broncos is exactly what happened in 2017 with the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith and I know we've talked about this scenario a lot but this is this is ideal for everyone if Joe Flacco comes in and is just way too good to play Drew Locke even though Drew Locke's being hyped up so much the coaches love him the media loves him you guys love him in training camp but Joe Flacco's just too good to let him play. And you got and the Broncos make the playoffs. And then at the end of the season, Joe Flacco was so good that you get a great trade value for him at the end of the season. That's that's the best thing for the Broncos outside of winning a Super Bowl. So no one is is wishing ill on Joe. And absolutely, Joe playing the best is the best thing for the Broncos this year. Completely agree. I just I think it's a lot easier to envision a scenario now where Joe Flacco flounders just because there's there's another plan you know it's there is a backup plan before the draft we're talking if Joe Flacco flounders it's Kevin Hogan out there <laughs> Kevin Hogan's not going to be on the roster come week one so things have changed a lot and and we're not perfect and it's opened our eyes to a different scenario which is that Joe Flacco does go on a three-game losing streak at some point and does get unseated by Drew Locke. I, saw, I was watching uh, ESPN yesterday, and Todd McShay was asked to make a bold prediction about any draft pick. And his bold prediction was Drew Locke starts at least eight games. Mm. So we're not the only ones out there talking about this. And and for the last couple of months, we've probably been, you know, uh, speaking the, mo- the nicest about Joe Flacco of anyone in the country. I heard Chris Sims yesterday on the Dan Patrick show. He was asked, who of all these quarterbacks outside of Kyler Murray has the best chance to win Rookie of the Year? He said, Drew Locke, you're not winning Rookie of the Year on the bench. Uh, You're not winning Rookie of the Year (laughs) if you're Drew Locke. I don't think he's going to – I mean, even if Drew Locke was to start, when would he have to come in? Because when did Baker come in last year? Week four? Yep. So he has to get in by week four. That means the Broncos started (laughs) 0-3, in my opinion. 1-3? Or sorry, one and two is not gonna is not gonna get Joe Flacco off unless he's hurt. I don't think I don't think Joe or Drew Locke is winning Rookie of the Year either. But Ryan, those are two national examples we just pointed out about guys that believe Drew Drew Locke is going to see the field. And here's another thing that someone said, and and we can't discount this. And I know it's a, it's another thing we haven't talked about. I think it was McShay who said, "I don't know anyone who used to have a bad back." Mm. Once you mess up your back, and I can attest to this myself as I'm sitting here in a little bit of pain. <laughs> your back is is gonna hurt and all it takes is one awkward hit all it takes is one awkward shoe tying experience and you could be off your off your game a little bit and then man i joe if i'm him man just putting myself in his shoes you got to think he's gonna force it if he feels a little tweak he's not taking a step back because he knows what happened last year Lamar Jackson took over, Joe gets healthy, and the team says, Joe, we're staying with Lamar. And then he knew at that point that he was done in Baltimore. He does not want to give those opportunities to Drew Locke. And that's probably the worst-case scenario for the Broncos this year is Joe Flacco gets gets a little tweaked up uh, and plays, but he doesn't play very well because he's tweaked up. And that just leads the Broncos to more unnecessary losses instead of just putting Drew Locke in or, of course, having a healthy Joe Flacco. 
Yeah, I completely agree, Zach. Uh, it's just one of those things where we, now we have to consider all of the and, – and maybe one of the worst-case scenarios is Joe Flacco gets injured early in the year, and you don't – you didn't necessarily want to uh, put in Drew Lockett, but now all of a sudden you're forced to. And that's something we have to um, really consider because you know what's not going to happen? Joe Flacco goes down, and they sit there and say, well – you know, Drew's just not ready, so we're going to start Brett ripping. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that ain't happening. It's impossible to do that because once you've, once you've named him your backup, which the Broncos will do at some point during this offseason, they're going to say, okay, Drew Locke uh, is, is going to be the number two. He won that quote-unquote competition. And then you're, you would be doing the team a massive disservice if all of a sudden once you – need your second-string quarterback, you say, well, we're going to go to the three because uh, the two's not quite ready yet. Well, since we're diving into the twos and threes, Ryan, last time we were on this podcast, 48 hours ago, you said the next time the Broncos step on the field, Garrett Grayson will not be with the team. Ding, 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 ding. You nailed it. Garrett Grayson was waived as well as wide receiver Chad Hansen, who many on the team also thought he was a quarterback, uh, moved on from them to sign a few guys. And Brett Rippon uh, was signed, given $140,000 in guarantees and a $10,000 signing bonus. So everything we've said about him is coming true. Yeah, I, uh, I have to laugh at the person who was in my mentions just just harping on the fact that <laughs> Garrett Grayson was so much better than Brett Rippon. That I guess they took a little bit of an L there. Hey, but let's um, pause here for a second, and we're going to bring on Connor Arlington, who is a demo tech here for Cobra, uh, and uh, he's going to tell us about what they've got going here at Demo Days. Connor, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what do you guys got going on out here today? Uh, so we're, we're just out here with the with Cobra. We're doing a demo day here at Fossil Trace. Um, just kind of bring out a lot of new product and um, you know give everyone a chance to hit whatever they want, really. So what is the what's the big ticket item for Cobra this year? Well, I'd say the big ticket item is uh, it's probably going to be the F9 Speedback. Uh, it's the new driver we've we've brought out. It's fast, soft to face. Um, it's got a lot of new features. Really designed to help people uh, just you know improve their game. Hopefully, what is it uh, about that driver that is helping people in tr- improve their game? So one thing Cobra did was they actually took a lot of weight off of the top of the golf club, um, off the crown, and they were able to basically wrap around the carbon fiber crown, which allowed them to take off about 10 grams of weight. Um, from there, they were able to mo- maneuver that weight to the bottom and back of the driver head. And what about uh, the other stuff you guys got out here? What what else are you guys uh, showing to the good folks out here at Fossil Trace? So we have the new F9 Speedback irons. Um, we have them in variable length and one length. You know, Bryson DeChambeau, he's, it's all the rage these days, right? Uh, it also comes in, for, we can also do Forge Tech in, in the one length as well. What about uh, wedges or anything else that you guys are doing out here? So the new wedges we have out here is they're called the MIM wedges, and it's um, metal injected molding. It's kind of a really cool new thing that they were able to do, and you know from there they, they take it out of the mold and they can just put it in like a basically a CNC buffer and try and they helps them get as exact a finish as possible on all the wedges. And can anyone come in any day and find your products here at Fossil Trace? Uh, I do believe this is, believe so. They should have a fitting cart inside. Um, if not, you know, we can. They can always try and get a hold of us, and you know, we, we'd love to come out and help people out if they need to. And will you guys be out here next month as well? All right. Well, we don't know on that one yet, but uh, make sure you definitely come down and check out these Fossil Trace demo days. A great opportunity to learn something about you know your swing, what clubs work best, and, and definitely check out the new stuff over there at Cobra. Connor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm definitely going to have to uh, get over there and hit some of these Cobra irons and uh, the driver before we finish. And we're actually going to be doing a video, a uh, little vlog status, you know, of trying out all these clubs and, and learning from these guys. These guys, uh, they know what they're talking about when it comes to golf. So what you're saying is the vlog is going to be you showing off your massive driving abilities. Is yes, that right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, uh, I've done that quite a bit on BSM. They, they gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, all right, Zach, let's transition a little bit. It's been over a week. Sorry, it's been a full week since the draft ended. Uh, a little under, I guess, you know, by a couple hours <laughs> yeah. since it's been a full week. We have heard nothing. Absolutely nothing. Entirely nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. 
about Chris Harris Jr., what the hell is going on. Yeah, and Chris hasn't heard from the Broncos as of Friday. And, uh, Ryan, I'm not surprised at all. This is this is classic John Elway. I mean, we knew he was going to play hardball when he came out. When you asked him that question in the pre-draft press conference and he came out as strong as ever, that was John B. and John. Now, he did take a step back during the draft and especially after the draft one week ago saying, I want to talk to Chris personally uh, and, and really just weed through all of the BS that's going on. Don't you have to talk to him in order to do that? Someone's got to call someone because you can't just go on forever uh, playing this game. Like, they're playing the, like, I got your number, but I don't want to sound desperate game right now. Like, okay, I'm gonna, I, I got to wait a week before I text you. I was going to ask, can I get a relationship uh, uh, parallel? Yeah, exactly. They met. They exchanged numbers. And now John's, John's buddy's like, dude, 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 don't text too soon. What are you doing? You got to chill. At le- wait at least a week you so think, you don't sound desperate. Do you think his buddies, you know, Matt Russell, I don't know anyone else in that room, are actually saying, all right, John, let's pick this up, and John's saying, no, 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 no. We got to take this slow, boys. John is waiting for them to call him. Yeah. Because in the end, what what would John's rush be right now? Now that the draft's over, you know, I, I guess his only rush would be that there's going to be uh, pressure from the fans increasing. Um, if I were Chris's agent, I would leak something again. Mm. trying to make John Elway look bad so you put a little pressure on them but what 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 would John be rushing for at this point nothing there's absolutely no reason for John to jump on the phone when John had to rush was that 48 hour window on Tuesday afternoon after the pre-draft press pre-draft press conference before the first and the second uh day of the draft that's when he had to rush if he wanted to flip Chris and get instant value from him meaning this year's draft pick that's when he had to rush after the draft went really after the second round went by John owned all the power and I think that's what Chris realized before uh the draft even started was look if I want to get moved and if I want to get paid right now and get my signing bonus this weekend it has to happen now and it has to happen on a different team now John owns all the power because Chris is under contract. And, Ryan, a lot of people ask me, well, can't the Broncos put the franchise tag on him? Chris is under contract. The, the, Chris is not without a contract right now. So John can, can take a step back if he doesn't want to pay Chris and say, look, Chris, you're under contract. I'm not trading you. And I'm also not giving you a new deal because you're 30 years old this year. And so you're going to either play under $8 million this year or you're going to give us $8 million back on the sidelines. Yeah, that is – that's what people I think are missing the most here is that John Elway honestly has the power to just say, I'm not giving you a new contract, and you're going to play on this one. Yeah. And Chris can play the holdout game for a certain amount of weeks, and then eventually he's going to have to show up. And you know what can happen after that? Broncos can just slap the franchise tag on him. Oh. And they would save money on the deal. They would. Because what's the franchise tag going to be, right, in the $13 million range? Yeah. Okay, well, that's probably what they want to pay him anyway. Yep. So then they can franchise him next oh, year. Oh man! He, and then, but combine that with only eight million this year. So you're looking at twenty-one million for two years, and what's that? Ten and a half million, as opposed to what? What does he want? Fifteen million? It's a great deal for the Broncos, and it's exactly what it. What if feelings weren't involved? It's exactly what they would be doing here, and it might end up being exactly what they do. Are feelings involved? with John Elway with the fans obviously they, they want to get this locked up pay all the money in the world to keep Chris here and happy but with John Ryan we see these negotiations get rough all the time yeah the problem is though that you risk the, you run the risk of Chris saying okay well I'm sitting out this year and then he you know he comes back in week 10 or whatever and then you slap the franchise tag on him and you risk the, you run the risk of that happening again how much of a risk do you run, though? Is Chris really going to miss out on $21 million? And then, and where the Broncos really have the biggest advantage in all of this, is Chris is 30 this summer. Next year, he'll be 31. When he becomes a free agent, if the Broncos were to go down this route of the franchise tag and everything, he would be a free agent at 32 years old. And Ryan, we talked about this earlier this week. Kareem Jackson has got the biggest contract for a cornerback in NFL history being 30 years or older, and that was $11 million a year. So is Chris going to pass up on $21 million these next two seasons to become a free agent 
at 32 years old thinking he's going to get a $15 million per year contract? I mean, that, that would be crazy. Right. It's not like at 32 he's going to get three years 45, no. which is what he wants right now. Yeah. That's never going to happen. No. So John Elway uh. does hold a insane amount of power in this position. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder what, what the counter move is if John tells them, we are not doing a contract with you and you're going to play. We're not going to trade you either. So what's the counterpunch from Chris? I'm not going to play. That's the only counterpunch he has. Wow. So then John would have to decide: Does he want to pay Chris, let's just say, 14 million dollars for the next three years, or does he just want him to want him to sit? Or you know, you you flip him for a third round pick, or you just let him sit and let him walk in free agency, and you get a third round pick from him next year. Man, I feel like Chris didn't think this through because his power is actually very limited. Yeah. His power, honestly, was demanding the trade before the draft. That's gone. Yep. John probably knew exactly what he was doing. John called his bluff. Yeah, exactly. He knew exactly what Chris was doing because he knew that his his trade value would be highest during the draft. And so, and then he comes back, and he's probably lying a little bit, but when he says, we didn't get any calls about Chris, <laughs> of course he got calls about Chris. Yeah. He got multiple calls about Chris. But he says, we didn't get any calls, so we're not going to trade him. Okay, well, now Broncos fans are off his back. Because it's not as if he says, yeah, you know what, someone offered a second-round pick, and we just we didn't love the value. So how much power does John have when it comes to the number? I mean, what number can John wiggle Chris down to? If, if Chris wants 15, right now he's getting 8. How far down can John go with how much power he owns here? All the way. Yeah. And you know what? That'll get Broncos fans off his back, too. Just He made an offer. He offered him three for 33. Yep. He offered him three for 30. Yep. He offered him three for 27. Man, I could see I could see the offer being three for 34. One million dollars more than Kareem Jackson got. That's fine. I mean, Chris should take that. And with a lot of guarantees. I mean, that... that it's not like you and I would be sitting here saying how bad we feel for Chris getting eleven million dollars per year. I'm not. Gonna, I mean, this is this is the hardest part about evaluating this stuff. Just play for the eight. <laughs> you know, like I'm. I get your your time is limited. Yeah, Zach. I honestly feel like if you just gave me one million dollars right now, I'd be good for life. <laughs> Figure out ways to invest it well. Make some low risk investments and build it up a little bit every year. You'd be able to play golf even. <laughs> You're talking about it's not like I like I get the whole get all your money while you can because this is short lived. We're talking about eight million dollars. Yeah. If you invest that correctly, and that we're forgetting about what he's already made across his career. Mm-hmm. You can take eight million dollars and, and be uh, every like ninety nine percent of the world would say, Give me eight million dollars and I'm happy forever. <laughs> but that's not the way this works, and so we do have to look at it from a more realistic viewpoint, which is that things are different for NFL players. Chris already has big investments into property and cars, and he's got a growing family, and you know a certain lifestyle costs a certain amount of money. But I cannot, I cannot sit here and say I would feel bad for Chris to have to play for eight million dollars this year, and then go on the franchise tag for thirteen next year. <laughs> no one should feel bad for him for that. So. Let's test the waters, Ryan. Is Chris Harris on this team week one? Is he on the field? Is he on the sidelines? Is he not in the stadium? I just had a massive moment of clarity during this conversation. Mm, me too. There's no chance that he's not on the field. Yeah. He has no he has no leverage. Yeah. And again, his leverage is not playing. And then the Broncos' leverage is, okay, well, then we, we save $8 million. And guess what? You're still under contract next year. He can't. The, he can't win. He can't, and that's why he will be on the field for the Broncos playing significantly under a $15 million price tag. Maybe it is on a new deal, three for 34. I don't think it's going to be that high. Uh, you think it's we're less gonna, than Kareem we're Jackson? Gonna, we're going to hear an offer come out here soon, and it is going to low ball Chris, extremely low. So is that Chris? Would that be Chris's side leaking how low it is to try to make the Broncos look bad? So he's making eight right now. Yep. The Broncos are going to offer him three for twenty-seven. You're getting a you're getting a pay raise. 
with a lot of guaranteed money or right. a big signing bonus. Guarantee the whole thing for all I care. <laughs> Three for 27, it's all guaranteed. That's what's going to happen because, again, Chris's leverage is he's asking for a contract extension. Ron goes, here, here's your contract extension. You can either play for the eight and take your chances next year, or you can take this guaranteed $27 million right now. Man, and that would be a slap in the face in Chris's eyes, and he'd probably be so upset in the moment. And then he'd take a step back and talk with his agent. He'd talk with Fred, and they would come up with exactly what we're talking about now. Shoot, what else can we do? And the Broncos would, would say, look, we're giving you 19 more million dollars in guaranteed money than you have this year. In fact, we're giving you... At twenty-six more million dollars in guaranteed money since your seven million this year isn't guaranteed. Only one million of it's guaranteed, and maybe you just make it. I mean, you don't make it all a signing bonus, but make it all guaranteed and give them fifteen million up front right now. And then the Broncos say, "Look how nice we're being to you." Yeah, this is. And again, so Chris, so Chris comes back to the counter offer, right? And he says, "How about uh, three for thirty-six? And John Owen just says, "No." Yeah, that's what I would do if I was him. Yeah. And so then what? And then Chris plays. He has, Chris, he, Chris has to decide whether he wants to play on $8 million this year and then say peace out to the Broncos with the opportunity of still getting franchise tagged and being here two years locked in, or if he just wants to accept that third year of guaranteed money. Whew, what, a, <laughs> what a moment of clarity, Zach. It really is. All right, now we're going to bring on Mitchell Gore, who is a demo tech here for TaylorMade. Mitchell, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys? Good. What are you guys doing out here for TaylorMade? We're doing fittings today. So it's technically called a demo day, but we're trying to do personalized fittings where we take you for an hour, put you on the launch monitor, and, and fit all kinds of different shaft options, head options, get the best combination for your game. And what's, what's the benefit of being able to do that? Yeah, so the cool thing, we have the, the TrackMan app. We can compare side-by-side side all the different shafts, so throw one in. Say it spins too much, throw a second one in, mm. spins less, and you can show them on a on a map of the range. This is where these ones landed versus the first one you hit. So it's just cool to compare and show them real time, show them the difference in numbers, and I've been trained to explain what that means. So, <laughs> yeah, you guys, if you are in the market for buying new clubs, you gotta come to something like this. I just watched Mitchell work with one client i mean you said an hour that was probably upwards it was of two like hours. an hour and a half yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're getting in there uh but i mean that that's the type of information you need it's so much better than just going online saying, oh these look cool and click and buy it's critical if i mean it's it's terrible when people spend 500 dollars on a driver or 1500 dollars on a set of irons and they hate them because they're not fit correctly um, i went through it too when i was when i was younger growing up playing junior golf with the wrong clubs it's like your dad's old set of clubs they're not fit for you just going to make it harder and it's already difficult enough as it is so getting fit is is really important um what's your favorite uh stuff that you got out here with TaylorMade? so for me exciting we just came out with the tiger woods iron so it's a it's a blade iron that's the exact specs um of tiger woods irons you just won with so it's pretty cool to, to hold that and swing it and just think yeah this is what tiger hit on you know number six at the masters this week exactly the specs so those are pretty sweet obviously not going to fit everyone into that but um it, it's just great equipment it watching the numbers and seeing seeing how good the performance is it's unbeatable man that is too cool to be able to swing the same club that tiger had and how often would you recommend that people come to these or get new clubs oh man the experts say every six years the okay. technology goes out of date okay um but some guys every year, new driver, every year, new irons. It's, it's a totally a personal preference. Um, every few years, it's good to just come out and see. Um, just try them out see if you get better performance with the new stuff versus the old. But ultimately, if we can't beat what you're currently playing, then you don't really need to get fit. But, yeah, definitely come, any time, come out, try the new stuff. It's like a kid in a candy shop for me. Just <laughs> look at all It's like the Ferraris of golf right yep. here just sitting ready to get hit. So. I think I'm just coming up. I might be past six years on mine, so I'm excited to uh, go hit uh, a couple of clubs after we finish up yeah, here. Uh, but thanks so much for coming yeah, on with us, and uh, we really appreciate the insights. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, Zach, I got to admit I am chomping at the bit to go hit some of these clubs. They sound awesome. Uh, but before we do that, we got a little more uh, talk to get to here on this bonus podcast coming to you from Fossil Trace Golf Course and the May Demo Day out here. Uh, 
really awesome scene. Tons of people, you know, learning about the new clubs, uh, finding some new stuff that'll that'll work for them. And who knows? I might drop, you know, a couple grand today. You, know? <laughs> you never know. You start putting these toys in front of me. Uh, the wallet opens up quickly, and then uh, I'm not gonna be able to eat lunch for the next week. <laughs> we are looking at a lot of money. I just realized right now with it, with all of these clubs. And Ryan, you gotta come to one of these demo days. I mean, even if you're not the biggest golfer, if you're the biggest golfer, you have to come here. I mean, just all the clubs you get to try out—that is amazing. Uh, you get to test them out right here. They have some sweet technology too. This is a, a can't miss, especially in May, June. This is the perfect time. Yeah, I mean, if you're like me, you, you look up all this stuff, you read the magazines, you uh, you know, you see the tweets from all these places, and you're like, man, I wonder what that's like. And and remember, of course, last year I was talking about that Callaway Rogue driver, which we were giving away. I ended up getting it, uh, courtesy of our good friend Yu Chang from uh, Top Golf. But man, you just you read all about this stuff, and, and every golfer always wants the newest, best thing. You get to come down here and try it out for yourself, and maybe you end up saying like, "Yep, I absolutely need this." Maybe you end up saying like, "Okay, I don't need it as much as I do," but it's definitely good to come out here and get a chance to swing them. Okay. Speaking of getting a chance to swing them or getting a chance to give it a, a test drive, Emmanuel Sanders is finally getting to test drive that uh, repaired Achilles tendon of his. And boy, only five months after tearing his Achilles. Five months. This is incredible. Emmanuel was on the field yesterday uh, running almost a near full sprint. I mean, he went what, 80 yards? Uh, it was hitting full stride, it seemed like, in the middle of it. This is this is really unbelievable, Ryan. I mean, we talk about Chris getting to 30 years old. Emmanuel is 30. Coming back from an Achilles injury, Achilles injuries have gotten easier to come back from, but it's still probably the hardest injury to come back from, and Emmanuel's making this look easy. It's pretty crazy. I mean, you saw him running. He was sprinting. It's not like he was a light jog. He was running now. You know, he wasn't cutting and coming back for come, you know, for comeback routes or anything like that. But I would be surprised, Zach, if 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 Emmanuel Sanders isn't ready for week one. Am I crazy in that? No, you're not crazy in that at all. I think he'll be ready for week one. It's it's when is he ready? Is he ready for the beginning of training camp? Is he ready for preseason? Now, luckily, we're not talking about Cortland Sutton, who needs training camp and needs preseason. Ryan, let's say Emmanuel doesn't play because he doesn't want to cut at all until week one are you comfortable with him yeah yeah of course i, mean, I am it, 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 he's a vet he knows what he's doing you, you don't need him to take that many reps now you want him to get some with joe but at the end of his run when he slows down he's chopping his feet now it's not the same as a fold speed uh plant and come back on a comeback route but still i was i am really really impressed and right now I think we can count on him for week one. I think that's what the expectation should be. Now, if he doesn't meet it, it's not a failure on his part by any means. Just the fact that he's here and what? We have June, July, August. He still has four months. He still pretty much has half of his recovery left, and he's already running now. This is huge because this is another potential weapon for Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Rich Gangrella, whoever. This is another potential weapon that you add with Cortland Sutton stepping into year two, with Deshaun Hamilton stepping into year two, with Noah Fant in this offense, with a revived offensive line. If everything goes right, our expectations can can drastically increase from this offense. Now, everything's not going to go right, whether it's with the running backs, offensive line, quarterback, receivers, health. Uh, we, we know that's not going to happen. But, Ryan, throughout this whole offseason, I've just been saying – if the offense can be close to average and the defense can be elite, that's their formula to success. If the offense is average, above average, if it's borderline top 10, which I think is where the ceiling is, if everything goes right, you don't need the defense to be elite. It's very true. And don't you just, I mean, doesn't this just change everything? All offseason we've been saying, if Emmanuel's ready, if Emmanuel's ready, if Emmanuel's ready. And even worse, if Emmanuel's not ready, if Emmanuel's not ready, if Emmanuel's not ready. And if that, you know, talking about if that's the case, then things are going to be tough on this receiving group now. Noah Fant certainly takes a little bit of pressure off them in that sense. But he's also a rookie. You know, you're, you're talking about counting on, without Emmanuel, you're talking about counting on a rookie and two sophomores. And with Emmanuel, you're talking about counting on 
a, a seasoned vet who has proved to be a great player in this league, a second-year player who is on the upswing, and then, you know, a mix of another second-year player, a rookie, et cetera, et cetera. It really changes the dynamic if all of a sudden we can count on Emmanuel Sanders. It really, really does. And, Ryan, what should we expect from Emmanuel this year? Because uh, last year he was on pace for a fantastic season with terrible quarterback play. In 12 games, he had 868 yards. He was going to smash 1,000 yards on the season, go for like 1,300 yards. The year before, uh, obviously he didn't have a a great season with injuries as well, only 500 yards. And then 3,000-yard seasons before that, uh, when he joined the Broncos, of course, uh, the first two were with Peyton, but even the second year was... Super Bowl 50 and aging Peyton it's not like the passing game was lighting it up he still put up 1100 yards the following year with Trevor Simeon he put up a thousand yards what what's realistic to expect from a 31 year old Emmanuel Sanders coming back from a torn Achilles but who's also running full speed four months out from the start of the season I really have no clue I gotta be honest I really have no clue um if the quarterback play is good, you could expect a, uh, upwards of a thousand yards from him. If the quarterback plays the way it's been the last couple of years, and you're expecting less than that from him. But you know, the sky's kind of the limit. But also, you know, <laughs> what's the opposite of that? The 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 floor is the floor. Um, I, there's a chance he could come back, and he's not going to be as sharp, not going to be as explosive. You know, there's a difference between running and cutting, and there's a chance he's not going to fully trust it at least at the beginning of the year. So. It's one of those things that I just I don't have a prediction for. I, I, I don't know what I would be able to base that off of. Last year, Emmanuel really used offseason as motivation to prove all of us media folk wrong in saying that he's 30 years old, he's over the hump, what can he do? He comes back, has a great season before the injury. And Ryan, if Emmanuel didn't tear his Achilles one month with one month left in the season— he was going to be asking and demanding a new contract from the Broncos. He'd be in the exact same situation that Chris Harris is in right now. Emmanuel may not be showing up for this offseason program as he wants uh, a bigger contract from the Broncos. Uh, and so that's where he thinks his game is right now. He thinks 30's the new, he thinks 31's the new 25, uh, honestly. And so he has these sights set up for himself. For me, man, if he can be a solid two that would be huge that would be huge for the broncos well let me just ask you this way who leads the broncos in receiving yards this year <sighs> i gotta go Cortland sutton i gotta go emmanuel sanders i just it's the injury if, if you tell me he's healthy for 13 or more games it's emmanuel sanders yeah and again that's the risk i'm running by saying emmanuel but i just know if he's out there he's going to be open he's going to be reliable uh for a veteran quarterback like joe flacco especially he's going to be looking to get the ball to him so i just i i can't go with a guy who's unproven versus a guy who is proven yeah i i don't disagree with you at all but i just see uh, if he would have played one more game last year he very well could have broken a thousand yards and and 100 receptions. Yep, exactly. So I think it's amazing, his progress right now. And if he's back, it opens this offense up so much. And you have another certainty that you can count on, uh, of course, regardless of injury. But, man, that would just take so much pressure off these young guys coming up. Because, Ryan, this wide receiving core is so freaking young. It's, if you don't have him, it's Cortland Sutton. Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, Brendan Langley, huh. Juwan Winfrey. I mean, they need Emmanuel. They they need Emmanuel. My last question on this, where does Noah Fant fall in those rankings? Third? Yep. That's where he falls for me. It easily What's could be his two. ceiling? I think it, his ceiling is first. Hmm. I think it is too. I think if Emmanuel isn't healthy, that opens everything up for Noah Fant. And the if Emmanuel... Even if Emmanuel is fully healthy, they need to use Noah Fant as a receiver. We should not be thinking of him as a tight end this year. Use him as a receiver. Next year, let him bulk up. Let him block. That's when he should be truly practicing all of that. I would not be upset at all. In fact, I'd be happy if Noah Fant was working with the receivers all year. That would be totally fine for me because did you draft him to be in 
to be an all-around guy? Not for this year. Maybe for the future. But right now, just let him be what he's good at, especially if you win now. You know what, Andre, uh, the point that Andre made that makes a ton of sense for me with Noah Fant. With Noah Fant, you can't guard him with a linebacker, right? So when you when he's on the field, they're going to have to go into nickel. Noah Fant can block the hell out of a nickel guy. Yep. So it honestly, in the way that Andre put it, is it changes the math. It gives the Broncos the advantage every single time he's on the field. It's almost like a no-brainer. Like, how did they not have a guy like this before? Because, like I said, you put a nickel corner out there and you throw a sweep to Philip Lindsay, Noah Fant can blow that guy up. Now, is he going to be able to blow up De- uh, Devin White? No. But when you force the defense to create a mismatch, it's it's up to them. Do they want to have the guy in there to try and uh, get past Noah Fant to get the run? Or do they want to be afraid of Noah Fant getting the 40-yard pass? Well, that's what they're going to be afraid of, so they're going to be a nickel when he's on the field. And he's going to force them to put guys out there that he can block. Why didn't Iowa do this? I mean, they didn't just have a Noah Fant. That had TJ Hawkinson, too. And uh, Noah Fant had a great number of receiving touchdowns, but, I mean, 30 receptions is underwhelming. The yards that he had is is fairly underwhelming. Is there – should we look at that and be a little more concerned and cautious about projecting him in the future? I mean, is there something behind the scenes? Is there anything we should be worried about? I don't know, uh, and I'm not going to say anything about Iowa's coaching staff because the last time I did, I had, like, two Iowa people DM me, like, you're not allowed to talk about Kirk that way. So uh, I'm not going to – I'm going to just lay off there. I don't know what the deal was. I don't I don't know how they didn't capitalize more. I think they – I don't. I, I think they ended up scoring, like, in the, in the 20 points per game range last season. So they kind of did – Classic Iowa football They didn't right do there. very well with the, the weapons that they had. Um, could have done better for sure. I just think it was one of those situations where they didn't figure out the right mix in time. And that can't happen. That cannot happen with Rich Scangarello. He has to figure out the right mix. Do you think at all there was a there was a thought at Iowa of, man, if we can get two tight ends drafted in the first round, recruiting tight ends is going to be so easy for us. So they wanted to prop up Hawkinson because Noah Fant was already a first round prospect going into the year that would be that would be absolutely crazy if they did that with the success George Kittle has had I know he was a fifth round pick uh and so not not as high but everyone knows who George Kittle is now <sighs> that would be that would be bizarre to do that uh but like Noah Fant said tight end you and he went there knowing that so may, maybe that was in the cards for that do you know is that tight end coach the same one that's been there this whole time couldn't tell you he's I mean, doesn't he have to get a promotion, or doesn't he have to be the highest-paid tight end coach in college football? Yeah, I think the, the – I don't know. I, I just feel like what if you're a tight end, how would you not go to Iowa at this point? Because it's Iowa? No, that's not a good answer. <laughs> I've been uh, to Des Moines. It's actually – it's not quite Iowa City, but – I've been to Des Moines, been to Des Moines for Des Moines nine months. And, and I like Des Moines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but let, let, let's say you're a 6'5", 250 – you're the Denver Broncos profile for a tight end, and uh, you can go anywhere in the country. Are you choosing Iowa? Yes. <laughs> no, you're You're not. making yourself millions <laughs> of dollars by going there. Well, you're a smart man. I'd say 99% of other top tight ends don't go there. But I, I guess maybe That's I'm That's disproved, wrong. yeah. No offense. No well, I guess he's the 1%. No offense. TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, all these guys, high-profile tight ends who went there and, and got developed and turned into NFL players. There, I mean, there, there's 297 other ones that didn't go there. <laughs> tight ends? <laughs> there has to be. I cannot see them just funneling tight ends. All I know is that from now on, yeah, you're silly if you're not going I agree. there. I agree. So that's what I'm saying. Like maybe that was part of the plan. We got to prop up Hawkinson. Then we have two first round picks in the same year. Uh, tight end recruiting. We don't even have to do anything. They'll come to us begging to come here. If there wasn't a Noah Fant. And it was all TJ Hawkinson there. How high would he have gone? Would he still have gone eight to the Lions? I think he hit his uh, he hit his ceiling. But if there was no TJ Hawkinson, I bet Noah Fant could have gone eight. Yeah, I think so too. Now maybe we need to look at it on the other side too. How much did those guys benefit from each other uh, on taking pressure off? Because mm, how much pressure is Jeff Hireman going to be able to take off? 
Noah Fant. We know if Jake Butt is healthy and develops into the receiver he can be, oh my goodness. I mean, we're talking about TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant in Denver is what that's going to be. Even maybe more deadly with the receiving weapon Jake Butt could be being realistic, Ryan. The Broncos drafted a, used a first-round pick to draft Noah Fant because they can't count on Jake Butt anymore. It's a really good point, Zach, and and it's something that we're definitely going to have to, uh, you know, I think all Broncos fans will be crossing their fingers that that comes together. All right, and before we finish up here, we want to bring on Brett Hubbard, who is a territory sales manager here for Mizuno. Brett, how are you doing? I'm good. How about you guys? We're doing great. What are you doing out here for Mizuno today? Oh, just letting everybody test uh, the new product. We have the, uh, obviously, our irons, which is what we're famous for, the JPX line and the uh, 919s and the MP18s. Uh, and then we have the ST190 drivers, which are award-winning, tour-winning drivers now. Um, we have our wedges. We have full line out here. So, uh, you know, somebody wants to test something for Mizuno, this would be the place to do it. What do you have in the bag? Uh, I currently carry the ST190 uh, 9.5. I've got it dialed down to 8.5. Um, with a UST prototype shaft, a good friend of mine is just sends me shafts every once in a while. And then I've got a CLK 19 turned down to a 17, so I don't carry a three wood or a five wood. Um, and then I've got the 919 tours, uh, four through pitch. And then I carry a T7 wedges, a 50, 54, 58, and then a 62 degree S18. So I carry a lot of wedges. Zach, do you know what all that means? Yeah, <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, I'm spinning. <laughs> What, why do you recommend coming out here and, and really getting to, to feel these guys on a live driving range? You know, I mean, launch monitors have come a really long ways, and the, the ones that are indoors are really good, the camera-based systems and stuff like that, and that's about as accurate as you're going to get on the, on, on the indoors. But when you get to come out here and do a fitting day outdoors, you really get to see the ball flight, uh, you know, you see how the wind affects the ball, and you're just in a more open space. Some people get real claustrophobic inside of a hitting bay and stuff like that. And so hitting outdoors, you know, really helps a lot of people, and they just want to see the ball flight. Indoors, everybody's all about numbers and numbers and numbers. And outdoors, people want to see the certain sight pictures and just see how the ball flies, which is to most people way more important, and it should be, than just pure raw data. Um, you know, it, the way the PGA Tour guys get fit, you know, they'll build them up something and they'll take it. And if they don't like the sight picture that it takes off at, they'll just throw it to them. It doesn't matter how good the numbers are. So, uh, you know, we, we want to see the ball flight in a certain window and then we can start diving into numbers and picking shafts and stuff like that. And in events like this, it's not just people get to try out all the clubs. You're working one-on-one -on -one with them and it seems very beneficial for people to come out to these. Absolutely. I mean, my job is to know everything there is about the Mizuno product. So, um, we have a lot of really good fitters. I know here at Fossil Trace, there's, I mean, we have two people here that are phenomenal fitters and stuff like that, but their job is to know a little bit about every brand, and that's not to take away from them. My job is to know everything about my brand. So if you really want to, uh, you know, have a conversation and dive into some deep details about the product, uh, who else better to talk to than somebody that actually represents the company and is is paid to know a little bit more about the the product than just your you know your regular person? I could say I can tell just from our uh, few minute conversation, <laughs> you know everything about Mizuno. <laughs> well, well, I wouldn't say everything. Um, I just you know about the new product. I love our brand. Uh, you know, for a long time we've been an iron brand, and now we're becoming a, a complete golf company. I mean, Mizuno just launched their first global golf ball. I mean, and that's huge for us, especially here in the United States, uh, because we've never had the golf ball here. Uh, uh, Asia's had it for about 15 years, uh, you know, of some version, and Europe's had it for about six years. And so it's time for it to come here, and it's done really well. I mean, we were on back order for about six weeks. So, uh, so it's been really good for the company. Last one I have here for you. Is it safe to say Mizuno is maybe geared towards the higher level player? Uh, a lot of people like to think that, but our number one selling iron is our game improvement iron, the hot metal, the 919 hot metal, which, I mean, is designed for the, you know, whatever handicap you are. It, it's not, you know, it's not biased towards a specific handicap like, say, our 
MP18 Blade or the 919 Tour, which is, yes, you're more lower handicap. Now, in that world, in the better play world, I, I would say that every scratch golfer at some point in their life has probably owned a set of Mizunos or a single digit handicapper has owned a set of Mizunos. And that's what we are known for. Um, but the fact that our number one seller is our game improvement model lets you know that we have something for everybody. We are not just the scratch players, irons. We, we want to take care of everybody. I'm going to ask a selfish question here. <laughs> As a person who is capable of being a single digit handicap, why should I switch to not only Mizuno, but to the higher level, the blade type, type irons? Because right now I have non-blades. Yeah, I mean... If you want to work the ball a little bit more or something like that, I mean, that's where you would go into more of that player's type iron. Um, but let's be honest, golf is hard enough as it is. And unless you hit the center of the club face every time, there's really not a, a need to do that. And we have some stuff now that, like the new 919 Hot Metal Pro, which is really taking the iron market by storm, uh, that we released in February. It's kind of a different thing for us to have a spin-off of an iron that was released about six months later than the than the original line but we were kind of lacking in that player's distance category so if you have that you know 12 13 handicapper that doesn't like to look at a big chunk of metal down at the bottom it's a much smaller profile but has all those benefits of the standard hot metal um so you know we just is there a reason to go to a blade? Probably not. I mean, let's just be honest with you. Let's make golf a little bit easier, but there is a large demand for that style of golf club. And so we're going to continue to excel in that market and keep improving uh, everywhere else because we already have that down. We already have the blades down. So, yeah. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for yeah. joining us and for all the great insight. We really yeah. appreciate thank it. Thank you guys so much. All right, Zach, well, unless you have a piping hot take to rattle off here at the end, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. I think we've given all our hot takes forever. Yeah, we got a lot of takes this week, <laughs> uh, especially with this bonus podcast. So we appreciate you guys for tuning in, and we'll be back with you, of course, on Monday on the BSN Broncos podcast. Thanks to Fossil Trace for having us out here today, and make sure you come out and check one of these Fossil Trace demo days out here. Uh, if you're a golfer who's trying to figure out what are the right clubs for you, this is the per perfect place to be. So once again, thanks to Fossil Trace, and thanks to you guys.
Hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.